A few years ago, one of the kids in my online coaching program said to me, Coach Rebecca, I wish we could just go to a gym and have you as our coach. We would all be so happy and so confident. And that warmed my heart and I was like, oh my gosh, that would be the best. And that comment stuck with me for years. So now I'm going to do something about it. I am inviting gymnasts from all over the country to join me for the first ever Confident Gymnast Camp this August 3rd and 4th. This camp is all about breaking through mental blocks. So if you're struggling with a skill and you want me and my team to help you break through in real time, then check out confidentgymnast.com for details. Hi guys, on today's podcast, I'm interviewing three-time Olympic diver Laura Wilkinson. And this episode is so full of inspiration, like just really applicable mindset tips that you can use right away to tap into what drives you to unlock peak performance on demand. Can you tell I'm excited? Like this was one of my favorite interviews to date. She's just so positive, so inspirational. And I'm just really excited for you to hear it. Here we go. Welcome to the Perform Happy Podcast, where athletes and their support squad come to learn the secret weapon for sports success. I'm your host, Rebecca Smith. First, I was a scaredy cat gymnast, then a coach. Now I'm a sports psychology expert and a parent. Athletes, whether you're feeling stuck or you're having the best season of your life, I'm here to help you reach peak performance and maximum enjoyment. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Perform Happy Podcast. With me today is three-time Olympian, Laura Wilkinson. Laura, thank you so much for being here today. Ah, Thank you for having me on. I'm excited. I'm so excited to talk to you about your journey as an Olympic diver because your journey is so long. I mean, it just keeps going. I, be careful. Be careful there. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure you've been asked already. It's like, are we still, are we still in play, Laura? But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I never say never at this point. Right. I just love that. I love that about you. I love that about your story. That's like, you know, if you love something, you just keep going sometimes. Exactly. Um, so would you tell everybody, uh, so you're a three-time Olympian. You've also had a comeback in 2017 and 2021. You were at those Olympic trials. Would you tell us a little bit about your Olympic journey for those, you know, those 12 year olds out there who just want to know, like, how does one get to the Olympics? So I dreamed of being an Olympic gold medalist since, um, well, way back in the day, since I was like eight and I watched, you know, now it's Simone Biles, but back then it was Mary Lou Retton back in my day. And she did this like perfect 10 vault. And I was like, I'm going to do that. Like, I am going to go to the Olympics. I'm going to stand on the top of the podium. It was just, you know, the epic kid dream, but I don't know. I just hung on. There was something about it that I was like, this is the one thing I want to do in my life. And, you know, I pursued gymnastics. Um, I was mediocre at it, I think at best. Um, but I loved it. Like it was my first love. It will always be my first love. I'm still in love with that sport, but there came a time where I realized like, I'm not as talented as I need to be to go where I want to go in this sport. But my dream of being at the top of the podium at the Olympics was so strong that I was like, well, there's gotta be another sport that I can find and do it. And so my dream was really like that pursuit of going to the Olympics and winning. And it wasn't 
so much the sport. I was just trying to find an, an avenue to do that in, which was really, it's, it's kind of funny when you look back at that. So it took me a couple of years. I mean, I tried track and tennis and softball. I kept tumbling for a long time because I just loved it. And I was like, I'm not going to compete with it, but I just want to do it. So I would do that one day a week while I tried all these other sports. And I was good at them all, but it, it just wasn't, I'm an acrobat. You know, I missed the flipping. I missed the spinning in the air. And I finally found diving the end of my freshman year of high school. So I was 15 and I mean, it was gymnastics into the water out in the sunshine and the trees was the pool. There was music blaring. It was this awesome environment. And I like, I fell in love the moment I walked onto the pool deck. So um, that's kind of how I got into diving. And I mean, right from the bat, I told my coach, I want to go to the Olympics. This is what I want to do. And he didn't laugh at me. He was just like, okay, well, this is what we're going to have to do to get there. And you know, the rest is kind of history. It's <laughs> oh, amazing. And you know, every Olympian I've talked to has a similar thing, a similar component that they just want it so bad. And they're so clear. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's usually Mary Lou Retton, you know, or Carrie Strug, or, mm-hmm. you know, one of those incredible Olympic moments where just the world is captivated by yes by the hope and the fight that these individuals put out there to do their dream. And it's like, every one of us has a dream and we all are like rooting for this person. And then there are these few that just go do it. And so what, I mean, obviously you've met a lot of Olympians through your podcast. What are some of the things, some of the trends that you see among people who they set out to do it and they actually do it? That none of them have an easy path (laughs) that everybody has massive obstacles or challenges they have to walk through. They don't all look the same. They're all wildly different roadblocks or setbacks or or challenges, but everyone has to go through something and choose in those moments to push through and dig deep and try their best to move past it. Um, And that's usually when those amazing moments come is when they, they see the obstacle and they, they don't just give up. They don't, you know, woe is me and that's it. And I'm just going to walk away. They, they choose that their dream is more important than the fear or the pain or whatever may lie on the other side of that obstacle. And they push through it. And once they get out, something happens. Like there's that transformation that you go through. And it's, it's really that part of stepping out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like to talk to people about the first time I ever jumped off a 10 meter platform, you know, you look up at the 10 meter and you're like, well, that doesn't look so bad. But then when you look down from the top, it feels like you're a hundred feet up in the air and it's really scary. And that's a lot like these moments we have in our life. We come to this moment, we're looking down and it's terrifying. And we want to take that jump so bad, but you don't know if you're going to get hurt. You don't know how you're going to land. You don't know if you're going to end up so somewhere totally different than where you set out to go or, or how you wanted it to go. And that that's just so scary. But once you learn how to jump in with both feet and just commit to it, however it ends up, those are the moments where you figure out kind of how to fly on the way down, you know, and it may not go well the first time, but once you do it once, you know, the next time you take that leap, it's not as scary anymore. Like, you know, it's going to be an adrenaline rush, you know, it may end kind of crazy, but you know, it's going to get you closer to where you want to be. So you're willing to go quicker, faster you're willing to get through that better. Like sometimes you look at those obstacles as kind of like an exciting opportunity because you know, like, okay, this, this moment may be awful, but I know if I can push through it, it is going to get me so much closer to where I want to be. So those are the things that I think really, um, that I see along all of those champions, you know, storylines is that there is something huge that they pushed through or found a way over or under. (laughs) And, uh, and that's what made them who they are. Wow. And I mean, that brings you back to your story. So in 2000, 
you had an injury right before trials. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I was at a meet in Florida and I was doing kind of a typical meet warmup, which um, includes doing flips onto mats. We call them somersaults. But I was jumping off of a wooden block to, to a mat and I kicked out. So we, we do an inward somersault, which is where you like face the platform or the thing you're jumping off of and you, um, you, you're jumping backwards, but you're throwing toward it. Um, so it's called an inward. And I was doing that and I came out early. And so both of my feet, the balls of my feet hit that block of wood and um, I had completely shattered the right one. I had a stress fracture in my left foot and then I completely broke the three middle bones of my right foot. And one of those bones, it's kind of like how you have knuckles in your hands. You kind of have that on your feet. And one of those actually slid underneath my foot and lodged itself to two other bones. And we went to the emergency room in, in Florida, but they they told me it would hurt more and be more swollen if it was broken. So they didn't even x-ray it. They just gave me crutches. And, you know, my coach and I didn't push for an x-ray because we thought, oh, okay, maybe it's not a big deal. Like it's three months until trials. You know, we were trying to like, we just, I guess, wanted to be optimistic, you know, but I was in excruciating pain as I was stuck there for the rest of the competition, like a week, just in awful pain, couldn't sleep. It was terrible. We got home and, and my um, doctor x-rayed it and told me that if she'd seen it when it happened, she might've been able to reset it. But at that point it had been a week. And apparently I have great bones because um, that bone that was lodged underneath had already calcified to the two bones next to it. So it was stuck there. So it was going to require surgery, re-breaking the bones, pinning everything back together. And I mean, it would have taken me out of Olympic trials that were three months away. And I was like, uh, is there a plan B? Because <laughs> that's <laughs> obviously not going to work. I had left my college scholarship. I had left all my friends, everything that I knew that was good and right in my world to come home and train that year before the Olympics. And I was very isolated. And I felt like I just left my whole world to come chase after this dream because I thought you get one opportunity at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And so getting that news was kind of like almost watching your dreams sink like sand through your fingers. It was... uh it's kind of a devastating first week, but you know, the doctor said, well, we can cast it the way it is and hope that it heals well enough to walk on and maybe jump off of, but we had no idea. And I was in like three different casts over 10 weeks. So I only had about two and a half weeks, I think out of a cast before the Olympic trials. So it was, it was kind of crazy. So we um, had to kind of completely come up with a new game plan. You know, my coach is as crazy as I am, but a lot better at thinking outside the box. And he said, all right, well, we'll come up with something else. We're going to focus on like the mental side of training because that's what we can do right now. But I have one rule for you. He said, if we do this, you can only look forward. You can't look back. You can't say, what if? Mm-hmm. You have to only look forward and go go all in with this new plan. Like that's the one rule I have. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And so we we did lots of video study. I would listen to my favorite like songs, uh, you know, playing while I was watching the videos. And I remember it would be like my best dives clipped together that I had ever done, like in the order I wanted to compete in. And I would watch it over and over again. And I felt like it was kind of burned into my brain because anytime I heard the songs I would listen to while I watched it, it was like the dives would come on instant replay in my mind anytime I heard those, those songs. And uh, when I was supposed to be in the water training, Kenny would, my coach Kenny would take my crutches and I would hop on my one good foot all the way up the ladder to 10 meters, shimmy my way out to the edge. And I would stand there and I would go through all my dives. They call it modeling now. Yeah. Didn't have a fancy word for it back then. We called it pretend diving. <laughs> and so I would, I would stand on the end of the board and I would go through all the actions of my dive. And my coach would stand on the pool deck and coach me. And it was so weird because I remember the first time, like, I thought, wow, I, I like lifted a little funny. Man, that felt like it would have been short if I was in the water. And, and But I didn't say anything. And he goes, yeah, you did this a little bit. It probably would have been a little short in the water. And I was like, whoa, okay, that's kind of weird, you know? 
I would even sit on the side of the pool deck and I would watch myself as if I was going up on 10 meter, like, like watching myself in a video. And I have to tell you, that was probably the hardest thing to do. But like anything, and people, it's so funny, Rebecca, and I'm sure you know this more than anybody, but people are like, oh, sports are 90% mental, but not one person trains that way. And so when you actually go to train that way, you realize it takes a whole lot of practice to figure out how to do it right and to do it well. And sitting on the side of the pool, trying to imagine myself diving off the 10 meter, like I'm in a video was so hard. I had to get to the point where I, the first time I tried to make myself do a simple dive, I was like landing on my face every single time. I couldn't make myself go in on my head. I had to like, in my mind, imagine that I was going like frame by frame to touching and then like unfolding and going through the water in order to force my brain to like do it correctly. It took so much practice to do that. It was kind of crazy. Um, but it was really neat because it's stuff I never would have come up with on my own, but my coach is really creative and I'm so thankful for that. And I, I think all of that, that we did ended up making me so much stronger. Cause I mean, I tell a lot of people that I I'm pretty sure I would have made the Olympic team that year. Cause I was one of our better divers. I, I had a great shot. You just had to be top two, just had to be top two. You had to be top two, but <laughs> I had a great shot at doing that. So I, I probably would have made the team, but I know I would not have stood on top of that podium without having gone through what I went through because it made me so much mentally stronger and emotionally stronger for what I had to face during that final, which was kind of crazy in itself. And so it's, it's such a gift. And it's really made me realize that when we have those obstacles, like we were talking about, there is such opportunity in them, but we have to be willing to walk through them to find those opportunities and to learn from it. Absolutely. And I love how I read something about how you, you attribute like your mental toughness today to those trials and how incredibly hard that was Mm -hmm. that when you do something like that, when you walk through the hardest thing possible, you get to the other side and go, Oh, Oh, I can do anything. Good to know. (laughs) Right. Okay. Great. Good to know. Now I, what do I love? And you just keep Mm -hmm. moving forward. And I, I'm so glad that you brought up the process of learning imagery. Imagery is Mm -hmm. what, you know, the sports psychology fancy word for it. Because a lot of people, I think they try it and they go, it doesn't work. I fell on my head in my, in my image, or I couldn't get it or I floated off into space or I couldn't see anything at all. Mm -hmm. And everybody comes with a certain dominant sense. Some people are more visual. Some people are more audio. Some people are more kinesthetic. So the person who can't see it might be feeling it. Mm -hmm. The person who can't, you know, hear anything in their environment might have a crystal clear image. If, you know, somebody might be doing, have to do it slow motion, but just like any skill, you have to start where you are and you practice. Mm-hmm. And then once you can create a multi-sensory image that's real time, that feels like it's really happening, that like creates the little twitches in your muscles when you're doing it, mm-hmm. then this incredible thing happens with your, your mind-body connection. And for sure, you're not the only Olympian who's gotten injured and relied a lot on imagery as a bridge. Well, even, even before that, like a couple of years before that, I think I I had started doing some of it on my own based on what I'd seen some people. I had seen some really elite athletes do some really crazy things. Like I remember at 96, at one of my first international meets, I watched this legendary diver. His name's Dmitry Sautin. He's from Russia. And he was, he's always been one of my favorites. He was amazing. And I watched him because I was, I was there to support a teammate in the men's finals of platform. And I remember all the guys were warming up. Everybody was warming up and Dmitry stood in the shower. Like the entire warm up, he just stood there like this, letting the water beat down on his neck and he didn't move. 
he just stood there for 30 minutes while all these guys are scrambling, trying to get all their dives in and warm up. And he just stood there. And I, I was like, what is he doing? This is insane. And then he dove lights out the best, probably still to this day, the best I'd ever seen him dive. He got tens on every single dive he did. Nice. And it was phenomenal. And he was going through everything in his head. And, and I'd heard of other athletes doing some things like that. And I remember a couple of years after that, I was learning this, this handstand dive that was really different. And I, I couldn't understand conceptually how to do it. Like I, I really wanted to try it because I was like, I was a former gymnast. I should be really good at handstands. I should know how to do this, but I couldn't figure out what it would feel like to push on the platform and how, what, you know, how it would feel going through the air. And I remember going home one night and like, I'm just going to sit on my bed and try to imagine what it would feel like. And I really like, I tried several different times and I finally got to the point where I was like watching my hands, like what I would see. And as I pushed off, I was thinking about really hard what it would feel like. And I got this feeling for what this dive I thought would feel like. And I learned it the next day and it was exactly like that. And it was, a, I think that was a really like empowering thing of like, wow, okay, I figured that out. There's something to this. You know what I mean? Like my mind can figure some stuff out even before I know what that's like. And so, yeah, it's just really, it's cool when you try new stuff. Like it just, mm-hmm. don't stop trying new things. Don't stop I think being creative and, and continually pushing the boundaries of, of trying and seeing what can help you, like you may be surprised sometimes. And like you said, maybe you're trying what somebody else is doing and that's not working for you. Well, try what you see somebody else doing or talking about and see if that, like keep trying new stuff. I mean, I've been doing this for, like we said, I've been almost 30 years now and I'm still trying new things and like, hey, maybe this will work better for me. I, I went through quads like going into Olympic games where I did weightlifting. I did somewhere I just did Pilates and plyometrics. I did somewhere I did none of that, you know, just body weight things. And, and each time I had like a different outcome, you know, where, where I, I learned even going into this last season as an older athlete, I did weights for a while. And man, I was like deadlifting 335 pounds. I was squatting 285. I was doing really good, strong lifts but I was feeling really slow in the pool and I didn't feel like that strength was showing up. Like I wasn't jumping very high because I didn't have to like push the springboard down. I do the platform. I need to be quick twitch. I need to be popping off of it faster. So I dropped all the weights. I started plyometrics and all of a sudden I I felt like a brand new person. I felt like I was 20 years younger. I was faster. I was quicker. I was jumping higher than I had in 15 years. So, I mean, don't ever stop learning about yourself and how you operate. And yeah, just keep trying new things. That's a really big thing I've learned. Yes. And I think a lot of the kids that that I work with, they get stuck because their coaches are not creative. Mm. So have you always had, you know, creative coaches? Did you ever have any, you know, to call anybody out? Did you ever struggle with a coach who was sort of set in their ways that might've slowed you down at all? What was your coaching experience like? Hey guys, quick announcement break. Right now, we at Complete Performance Coaching are looking for five athletes who are ready to break through their mental blocks for good. If that sounds like you or your child, then sign up for a free consultation call with one of my amazing coaches as soon as possible to see if you're a good fit for our Perform Happy Elite training program. This program includes one-on-one coaching with the world's top mental performance coaches, plus tons of support for athletes and their parents in between sessions. You can sign up today at completeperformancecoaching.com slash consult. Talk to you soon. I mean, 
I'm pretty lucky because I've had the same coach since I started diving. So since I was 15 years old, I had the same coach who is very creative, Mm -hmm. but in gymnastics, you know, I loved my coaches, but maybe they weren't as creative in that sense. But something beautiful now is we have social media, we have YouTube, we have Mm -hmm. access to our, you know, governing bodies, video database. Like you, you can access other people in your sport and and what they're doing or just other athletes in general and how they train. And I, I suggest following people that, you know, you want to emulate in the physical sense, you know what I mean? And looking at what they're doing for training or for nutrition or mentally or whatever it is that you're, you're trying to tweak and, and get better at and get ideas. And, you know, what one person is doing, maybe you don't want to do all of those things, but maybe something they're doing works really well for you, you know? And I think that has been helpful too, because I love watching crazy like Ninja Warriors. I love watching, um, for our sport, we have this whole new realm of like high diving now where they dive off like cliffs and, and crazy heights. And, and I love watching what all these people are doing and how they train differently. Like those high divers are super mental. They can't put in a lot of reps because they hit the water at 60 miles an hour. So, you know, I love seeing what other athletes do and, and say, Hey, maybe I could incorporate some of that. You know, there's this guy who's like a ninja in our local area and he does crazy core stuff that I've never seen before. And I love doing that because core is huge in our sport. And it just challenges me in a way that I don't feel like I've been challenged in my core in a really long time. So just, yeah, yeah. Follow people, see what they're doing. Um, like, cause I'm not, I'm not creative on my own all the time either. So for me to step outside the box takes a little work. So I get ideas from other people. And then I kind of mismatch, you know, my own little program. (laughs) I love that. And it's probably keeping it fresh too. Exactly. Because if you show up and do the same workout for 30 years, it's going to get a little old. It gets real old. (laughs) (laughs) Like the same stuff over and over. Okay. Now, but there is value to routines, Mm -hmm. I think with consistency. So I, I know you... I think you have some sort of consistent things you do before you compete. Do you have kind of a set in stone pre-performance routine? Does it have wiggle room within it to allow for life to happen? Like what's your, what's your go-to when you're getting ready to dive? For like actual competition? Yes. What do you do mentally before? Yeah. So I like to have a routine. I don't like super strict routines because I think people fall into the like, Oh, what's the word I'm looking Superstition. for? Superstitions. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I try to warn athletes about that all the time because people really think like, if I don't do this, it's going to go. And you've taken yourself out before you've even done your, you know, your dive or your floor routine or whatever it is. So have a routine, but it has to be flexible. You know, like you don't have to walk this exact same path to talk to your coach or you don't have to get three <laughs> sips of water here. I mean, cause people really get into that and it, it messes with your head. And I think it can really mess you up outside of sport too. It can lead to some really dark places. So I think to protect yourself from that, have a general, you know, routine, but it has to be flexible, you know? And so I do, I I like to, depending on the size of the meat or how fast or slow it's going, I'll kind of have a place where I camp out and I, I like to listen to music or, you know, play like a solitaire type game on my phone or cards or something like that um, to kind of keep my mind off of what I'm doing and just listen to music and just get into the music in between. Cause we, we like do a quick thing and then we have all this downtime. And so maybe about 10 girls before um, I would be up, I'd, you know, kind of take everything off. I'd go talk to my coach, maybe dip in the water. Cause I like to, for us, it's cold in there, but then also there's a feeling if you get really dry in between dives, when in a workout, you're kind of wet, constantly drying yourself off. So I actually like to get wet, warm up a little bit. Um, and then I'll start drying myself off as I, as I walk up the, the platform. And usually 
you know, like we, we have to walk up all the levels. So on five or seven meter, kind of depending on the situation, I'll go out there and I'll kind of go through that. Like there's really one or two corrections that I'll try to like focus on, on that dive. And I'm not worried about what happens on the last dive. I'm not worried about what's coming up. I'm really trying to just stay in the moment and focus on this one dive and really just the one or two things that I'm trying to kind of nail down. As when you try to think about five, six, seven, eight things in a span of less than two seconds, like they're not going to happen. You're just going to be overthinking. And it's going to be a hot mess. So the one or two things you need to focus on, letting muscle memory take over, trusting your training. And really, I kind of try to do that before I walk out to actually do my dive. I'm trying to do that behind the platform on another level. And then when I get up to do my dive, you know, they call my name. I look for my family or coach or a teammate or somebody I can kind of just, you know, feel good. I know I'm not alone. And usually I'm, I'm talking to myself as I walk to the end. I'm either, I like to pray or I'm, you know, saying a, a scripture or a quote that I love, something that's meaningful to me in that moment that gives me encouragement. And that's really what I'm doing as I walk to the end is I'm thinking on those things. And then as I lift my arms, it's really just that one or two corrections. And then I go and I don't waste any time. There's, a thing like we call it standing disease in my sport. <laughs> and that, I'm sure that's similar in a lot of other sports where we, you know, you kind of get stuck. You're like, one, two, three, go. One, two, three, go. One, two, three. You know, and you kind of, yes, yes. you do this and you get stuck. And then you're like, your mind goes to all these crazy places. And when I first started learning 10 meter, I was starting to get stuck on that a little bit, but synchronized diving was new. And so I started diving with my teammate, Patty, and she didn't even count to three. She just said, one, two, go. And like, we went and, and that got me off the platform really fast. And I realized when I did that, I didn't have time to stop and think. And so I had a lot of mental issues in 2000. I had gotten lost in the air. I wasn't seeing things very clear and I, and I would get very scared of certain things. And I knew if I counted in my head, I would keep going one, two, three, go one, two, three, go. And I wouldn't get off the tower. And so what I started doing was counting out loud because I knew other people could hear me. And if I didn't go, I would look like a complete fool. Mm. And I, maybe I look like a complete fool counting to myself out loud, but it got me off the platform. And so I was doing that in the 2000 Olympics. I was counting out loud to myself so that I would get off the platform too. I don't have to do that anymore, but, um, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do and you don't worry about what other people think about it. Cause that one, you know, the gold medal. So it's okay to be a little different than everybody else. I mean, it, it's been proven to work, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we've got evidence. I which makes me think about another diver. I talked to who sings somewhere over the rainbow as she, mm. you know, bounces down the springboard. There you go. That's just, that Gives is what that she rhythm. does. <laughs> yes. Somewhere. Yep. And that was just what worked for her. And it took her mind off of it. And it kind of like the train leaves the station and you go into trust mode. Mm-hmm. Because you know, there's nothing new to learn in this moment. There's nothing new that I need to remember. There's no new correction. It is all there mentally, physically. It is what it is at this moment. Mm -hmm. So here goes. And I love that you really touched on the the value of being present. Mm. And all the studies on flow, flow theory, finding your peak performance, getting in the, you know, the quote unquote zone. Mm -hmm. It requires you to be present. If you're in the future, what ifs, the future failures, the future successes, you're out of flow. If you're in the past, what ifs or the past successes for better or for worse, the only place that you can be and have your very best performance is in exactly what you're executing in this moment only. So to discipline yourself and teach and learn ways to get to that place. And I also, I'm so glad you brought up the superstition point because, because that if you're, (laughs) you know, if it's like, Oh, I had to pack the lucky pants that I wear the night before. Well, you've given all of your control to something outside of yourself. Yes. And I will tell you why I 
don't like this for so many reasons because it happened to me. Like I totally got stuck in that when I was in gymnastics Uh and it was so stupid, Rebecca, I'm telling you, (laughs) I'm like embarrassed to tell you this out loud, but I was like, 12, I don't know, maybe 11. I don't know how old I was, but I remember we were at a state meet and it was at our gym. And I was like, I was ready to be like top three at state. And that was a really big deal for me. I'd never been that good. And so I was like, man, I could really do this today. And I didn't realize it until halfway through the meet that I had done my rubber bands differently. I always had like two rubber bands on my wrist and I pulled from the back first and then I would do the other one. And I didn't realize until we were like halfway through the competitions that I did my rubber bands wrong. And I ended up fifth and I was so mad at myself. And then the team thing the next day, I did my rubber bands right. And then I would have been top three if that had been the individual day. And I was so mad. And I, for long, like for like weeks, I was like, if I had just done my rubber bands, right? Like I totally was just berating myself on rubber bands. And then Mm -hmm. it just dawned on me, like, how dumb is that? If a rubber band is enough to take me out of competition in gymnastics, like rubber bands should have nothing to do with my gymnastics ability. They don't have anything to do with my gymnastics ability. So it was like in those moments when I, re- when I was mad for like weeks and then realized that that is completely insane. That has nothing to do with my gymnastics performance. I took myself out because I thought it did. And that's not true. And so now when I got like after that point, if something would happen because I like maybe I smacked wearing a certain suit and I would be scared to wear that suit again. I would get to the point where I would make myself wear that suit again, doing the exact same dive to prove to myself that I can do this dive wearing this suit. You know, it's not the suit that makes you good or bad. It's not the leotard. It's not the rubber bands. It's, it's you, it's your ability. It's where you are. And don't let these mind games, like don't believe them. You know, they float in and out of your head. We're human. We think weird things sometimes totally normal. You don't have to buy into it. Yes. Well, and I'm all about figuring out what is the rubber band doing for you that is working. Holding and my so hair. <laughs> it was holding your hair, which is useful. And also it gave you a moment to be totally present because you were focused on something other than the gymnastics or you were focused on something other than the diving, which then you figure out, I need to listen to music or play solitaire because it's mm-hmm. something other than gymnastics, which allows me to let go and trust my training. So it could have been anything, but it's just, you know, and that's a lot of the time people think, well, but it works. Well, let's think about why maybe it works because it it allows you to be in your body, feeling something with your fingers, which Mm -hmm. gets you into the moment. And you're not thinking about what could go wrong. You're just thinking about rubber bands. Mm -hmm. So that could be replaced with anything of like, I need to sit here and twiddle my thumbs. I need to wiggle my toes in my shoes. I need to, there's, I need to feel my breath in my body. Mm-hmm. And if I forget my rubber bands or like, if your CD player dies, battery dies, right. That happened. Didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the middle of my Olympic final, <laughs> the mu- the critical music is not available. How, mm-hmm. how did you get through it? Well, at first I freaked out, you know, like any human would, I completely panicked. I was my third of five rounds in the Olympic final and I'm like, you know, doing well. And, uh, I, yeah, I freaked out. And then I started laughing because I've been here before, you know, and mm-hmm. it was really cool. Cause my, my faith is really important to me. And 
something came back to me in those moments. And I just, I remembered laughing first um, after I panicked and then realizing like, okay, this would totally happen to me. This is just something I would do. I wouldn't pack extra batteries for my Discman. This is way back in the day before you could just plug into the wall and recharge. (laughs) Little young, young people Google it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. So, you know, and I'm kicking myself because I didn't pack extra batteries. I was always overly prepared. So it was just so silly. And then I started laughing. So I was like, I don't need music to do this dive. I've done this dive a million times and I do it in a meet. I don't have music in my ears. Like I can do this dive. And I, I remembered randomly came back to me like some sermon I had heard a million years ago where they talked about mustard seed faith. And it was like, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can save from this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be done. And I remember this, this youth pastor had passed around mustard seeds to us to show us how small they were. And I remember holding it in my hand. And I like, I remember in that moment in Sydney, I'm looking down at my hand and I'm, I'm imagining that mustard seed right there on my hand again. And I was like, okay, I have that much faith that I can do this, that God has made me and equipped me to do this dive. I've done it a million times really, really well. Like I've got more than that. I'm good. And it, it was so funny because I think I was more confident walking into that dive than I would have been if I was just listening to music. And I walked out to the end and I just remember standing there and I put my arms out and I just like, I knew before I went, I was going to nail it. Like, you know, you just, I just was so confident because I had lost my music. Like it turned out to be this great moment and this great opportunity again. And it was, it was the turning point of the meet. I hit that dive. Everyone else after me missed that round and it, it changed everything. Mm. I, I just, I love this. I love it because <laughs> you break your feet, which makes you so much stronger, so much tougher, so much more resilient. you you lose your pre-performance routine and you tap into this faith in, in God and in yourself that carries you through. It's like, we look at competition, I think as humans, and we're like, I hope nothing goes wrong. I hope, I hope it just goes really, really right. And then you look at, you know, people like yourself who have these incredible stories because of the trials, Mm -hmm. not in spite of them, but like actually because of the hardships and the challenges, Mm -hmm. you become this, like this person who can trust yourself. Yeah. Which to me, it goes far beyond confidence. You know, confidence is yes, that's important. But if you don't have trust, you know, folded in with it, then it doesn't do you any good. You know, if you don't know, like, yes, I can. And I trust that I will. Yeah. Um, That's really well said. (laughs) I love that. Oh, so good. Okay. So now I'd love to touch on goals Mm -hmm. because you had these huge goals. How do you stay calm and focused on what matters when you are? actually within reach of it. Well, I mean, I think it's important to have your goals and to know what you're aiming for. And I think that's what keeps you going during the long spells, like during the training, during those things and having, and having small, like if your goal is four years away or 20 years away, you know, you've got to have short-term goals too, that, that keep you motivated and keep you moving toward that big goal that are all aiming in that same direction. But you know, when you're, you're in the moment, you're not worried about the goal. Like that's, that's when you let go of the goal. Like that's not the focus. The focus is to get into that moment. Like we were talking about, you're not worried about, it's just so counter to intuitive, but when you're in the moment to get the goal, you got to let the goal go. Yes. Like it's, it's you, you have spent your whole life 
coming to this culminating purpose. And this is your opportunity for that goal. And so you don't have to worry about the goal anymore. You're there. You're in that moment. And like, I remember going into my last dive in Sydney too. I I didn't know, I couldn't see the scoreboard. I didn't know I was in the lead, but I knew I was in the hunt for a medal just because I, I knew people missed and I knew I had caught up and the crowd was like insanely on my side going into that dive. So I knew, I knew I was in, in reach of something of a medal. And I remember in that moment, not even thinking about the dive, just going, I am living out my dream right now. Uh Like I am in the final at the Olympics. I'm in the hunt for a medal. My family is here. Like my cut, like, and it was just this cool moment. I have like a panoramic picture in my head of what the whole scene looks like. Like my coach was down here. My teammates were over there going crazy. My family was way at the other end of the pool over there. And I almost feel like it was the spotlight over the diving pool. And like everything else was kind of dark and shaded out. And I remember that moment and just feeling like, no matter what happens right now, whether I win the Olympic gold after this, or I get fifth place and miss the stands altogether, like I'm living out this moment that I have dreamed of since I was eight years old. And that to me was like fulfillment. It was just the ultimate, it was was such a good feeling. Like that was to me, one of my favorite memories from that moment. So the goals, they keep you going. That's what you're aiming for. You're doing all these things to get there. But when you're in the moment to try to get that goal, that's when you let it go. Yes, I 100% agree. Either you keep your goal in mind when you're busting your butt mm-hmm. and you're cold and you're tired and you want to go home and it hurts and you don't feel like it. That's <laughs> exactly. when you're like, Olympic gold medal, Olympic yeah. gold medal. It you don't keep, hit snooze. <laughs> just get out of bed. Exactly. Keep, just eat, you know, eat the thing you don't want to eat and go <laughs> do it. And then you get there and you're like, now you enjoy it. All Where the work is feet? done. All Here of it's there. Be in the moment and just live it. Yes. There is no time. There is no cut. There is no goal. There is no, you just are there. Yeah. Oh, so good. Okay. So my final question, I would love to know if you could have a moment with 12 year old Laura, what advice would you give her? Don't ever give up. I know it's so cliche and that's what everybody says, but, but truly, I think that's something I've always hung on to. Like I've always been a perseverer and they're just, you want something bad enough. Just don't give up. Like you have to fight for it. If it's worth fighting for, you got to fight for it. And you know what? I mean, I've been to three Olympic games and I only won a medal at one of them, but it didn't make the others not worth fighting for. I mean, I got to travel the world. I got to make friends. I got to do dives and have experiences I never thought I would get to do because I kept fighting for that. Even though sometimes I missed the goal, I still got to do these amazing things that were far and above what I ever would have done if I wasn't aiming for something that big. So, um, yeah, just ne- never give up. Your dreams are worth pursuing. Ah, oh, so good. And even like just the fact that you're like, well, it's not gymnastics. What is it? What's <laughs> it, you know, wh- let's figure it out. Is it track? Mm-hmm. Is it tennis? Is it softball? Like that's the kind of thing that like that demonstrates grit mm-hmm. that there's this quote that I love that says it's not over till the end. And if you're not there yet, it's not the end. It's like, I just butchered the quote, but you got what I mean. It's like, you- well, that's diving. I mean, diving is like that in a nutshell. There are people who like, they'll miss their first dive and they're just like, well, I've lost this meet. And they just check out. I have won two world titles while missing like my second or third dive, like bad, but I didn't give up. I came back fighting, you know? And so I think that is very true in my sport. And that is something I take to heart. Like it is not over until I say it's over. It is not over till I am not allowed to dive anymore. Like it is not over until I have finished the meet, you know? Yeah. So I, you just, you always have to keep pushing because you just don't know. I did a dive in 
2007 world championships, I was the reigning world champion. So I'm coming in thinking I'm all that, you know, and a piece of cake. And so I'm, I'm coming in and I put a lot of expectations on myself and I did a dive in the preliminaries for ones, for ones, I almost failed the dive. I went so far past vertical. Like I was obviously juiced up a little, a little too anxious and I wasn't committing to the certain come out of the dive. And I ate it. I mean, flat on my back. And I got like, I think nine total points in the dive. You're supposed to get like 80. Oh <laughs> I mean, it was so, and it was humiliating because I was the reigning world champion. I was expected to do really well. And I got ones on this dive. Mm. And I was like, well, I can't change that now, but I got two, three more dives to try to make it into the semifinals where I can start over. Like you start mm. from zero each time. And so I fought and clawed my way back. And I think I was like, 18th, 17th. I was like the last person in. And I came back and I got fourth place in that meet. I mean, I just missed being on the medal stand again, which is frustrating, but like I shouldn't have been in the finals, you know, but you just, you just can't, it's not done. It's not done. You just, you keep fighting tooth and nail till you've got nothing else to give. Absolutely. And the love. I mean, that's something that's a theme for you too, is if the love is still there, you keep after it. Well, for sure. And I, and I think something I'd, I'd love to talk about too briefly, if we have time, is knowing why you're doing something. Because I think the love of sport and, and you'll find that you probably have more reasons than just the love of what you're doing. And, and that was very culminating for me also in the Sydney Olympic Games. After I did that great dive after my batteries died to my discman, I had two dives left. And my fourth round was a really hard dive because that's the action I broke my foot on. So, and the, the bone was still lodged underneath my foot because we casted it the way it was. So I was still like standing on a rock and I had to put all my weight into the ball of my foot to push for that dive. And then I had to throw toward the platform and my feet came really close and I was scared about hitting them again. So it was this really, it was scary and painful. And I struggled with that dive coming back. That was the one dive I struggled with going into the Olympic games. And I remember, and I didn't have my music going into this round because my headphone batteries died the day the died before. And so I'm going up thinking, okay, well, my coach is going to tell me some magic words. He always knows what to say. He's going to push the right buttons. He's just going to, he's going to make it all better. And I'm going to figure out how to do this dive because I've got two dives left. And, and now I'm in the hunt for a medal. And I go up to Kenny and he just says, do it for Hillary. And he walks away. And Hillary was a really good friend of mine, Hillary Gribbett. She um, was a gymnast. She was first alternate on the 1992 Olympic gymnastics team. And she started diving the same time I did. And she was one of my best friends. And we lost her in a car accident three years before um, the Sydney games. And so him saying that to me in the most important moment of my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and you're trying to make me cry. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing this for? And he wouldn't, he just walked away. And so I'm like walking on the platform. Like, what do I do with that? And I was like, I've always trusted Kenny. I got to think about her. I, I got to go there for some reason. And as I'm walking up the platform, I start thinking about her. And, you know, I, I used to pick her brain all the time about, because she went to Olympic trials. She was the closest to the Olympics of anybody I ever knew. So I was always picking her, her brain about, you know, international meets and Olympic trials and all that stuff. And I remember we, we went out to dinner one time and I asked her, I said, well, if you made the Olympic trials for diving, would, would you go? Like, would you try to make the Olympic team in diving or do you just want to dive college? And she said, well, I don't know if I could come that close and not make it again. Like, I'm just, I'm not sure yet, but Laura, if anybody on our team is going to do it, you are. Mm-hmm. And I was remembering that conversation as I'm walking up that platform. And I remembered that like this dream, it wasn't just my dream. It was her dream. It was probably the dream my whole team had. I had these, these divers, these kids on my team. I mean, I had come home from college. I was like 22. 
when I'm up there pretending to dive on the platform, feeling like an idiot for 10 weeks, like how is sweating, standing on the platform, pretending to dive going to get me to the Olympic games? These kids were on the other side of the pool clapping for me going, I didn't see a drop of water. I'd give it a 10. You know, they're, they're encouraging <laughs> me and making me feel like I'm part of something. And I realized that like, this is probably their dream too. And this might be the closest they ever get to being here. Mm-hmm. And like, it, I really realized in those moments, that like as much as I always thought this goal was for me and it was my goal and my dream, it was in that moment that I realized this was so much bigger than me. And it was all of us together because I don't think I could have gotten there on my own. And there's something that, and that, so just some people think that's pressure, but for me, was like this great power behind me and I wasn't alone and I was doing it for people and with people. And I remember standing up to the, on the end of the platform and putting my arms up and I felt like I was six feet tall and I wasn't scared anymore. And I was like, you know what, if there's any time to hit the platform again, like this is it, I got to stay over it. I got to be brave. I got to go throw right at that platform. And I've just got to, I, I have to give everything that I am right now. Cause why hold back now? I have nothing left to lose. Like I'm putting it all on the line. And that was the best one I had done since I came back from breaking my foot. And that I think is what actually won me the gold medal in that final. Cause I, I didn't have that capability on my own. So the people, the reasons you're doing it, I mean, the love of sport is huge. It's a passion. You've got to remember that you love what you're doing. But also if there's a reason for it, like Michael Phelps is always like, I want to revolutionize swimming. I want to change it. I want to do amazing things to it. You know, when you have these goals and these desires that are bigger than you pushing you forward, it's, it's like the mom when her, her baby's under a car and she can lift a car up, you know, like when you have this, this reason, this purpose that's bigger than you, you can do things that you would never be able to do on your own. Man, oh, it's so powerful. Just like, just to bring in, I get to live this dream for us, for us and the gratitude. I think that is just so inherent in that, that when Mm -hmm. you can show up grateful to do your sport, I mean, it changes your brain. It It changes everything. Just the studies of what gratitude does to the human brain are pretty wild Mm -hmm. that you go up there and, and just like get to do this instead of a lot of, you know, it's like, I have to, I must, I need to, this is it. Yeah. It's like, no, I get to, I want to, this is a challenge and I'm rising to it and I'm doing it because, you know, insert, <laughs> insert yes, why exactly. here. Exactly. And that, ju- I mean, you just are, you're unstoppable. And then you, and then you can fully let go and go, this was the best I had mm-hmm. and it's good enough, regardless of what happens on that scoreboard. Exactly. It's that, that freedom that I mean, it is freedom. That's such a good word. Like it feels, it's so freeing and so empowering. Even like you said, even when it's not maybe what the ultimate goal was, there's, there's a feeling that you get from that, that is uncomparable. I mean, like, and I, and I have to say like to all the athletes listening, especially because our goal of these medals are to stay on the top of the podium or to get this trophy or whatever it is, you stand up on the podium for about a half a second. Don't even remember the anthem play. Like it all happens so fast and it's over. And you're like, I worked my whole life. And I, what just happened? Like, I don't even remember this moment that happened. Like, and as great as it is, like my medal is 22 years old now. It, the ribbon is, is kind of unraveling a little bit. We've dropped it. It's dented. The gold plating is rubbing off a little bit. Like it's, it's still really cool, but like, that's not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. It's what we, what I went through to get there, how it changed me as a person. Like, I know it's so it's, again, it's a great saying, like, it's not the destination. It's like the journey, you know, is the journey, not the destination, however they say it, <laughs> but it really, it's who you become on that journey. And like to make a really, <laughs> really good comparison 
to Cool Runnings, the uh-huh. like 90s bobsled movie, there's a great quote in there where the coach tells the athlete, because he's like, how will I ever know if I'm enough? And he's like, if you're not enough without the medal, you'll never be enough with the medal. Mm-hmm. A gold medal does not change who you are. It doesn't make you a magically wonderful person. It doesn't take away any of your problems. It probably just adds more to it, honestly. So who you become on that journey is really what defines whether you're a champion or not, like not standing on top of the podium. You know, I've won and I've lost and I couldn't really have one without the other. And I think both experiences have taught me a lot, but really climbing and scraping to getting to the top is what I take away with me the most. And it's the memories that I made standing there waiting for my last dive, not necessarily after the last dive that, that I remember the most. Awesome. Laura Wilkinson, you are such an inspiration. Tell everybody about your podcast and where they can find you. Well, thanks. Yes, my podcast is Pursuit of Gold. And I just interviewed Rebecca. That will be dropping soon. But um, I love it. We have all athletes, coaches, experts on there. Um, I love learning from all types of people who are amazing. So yeah, come join us over there. We'd love love to, to be listeners. Yes, it's a fabulous podcast. So many incredible minds and stories on there. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. This has been amazing. I know that everybody who's listened has gotten at least one solid nugget to take with them to make them better. Thank you. Thank you. I sure hope so. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the perform happy podcast. If you're ready to unlock your maximum sport potential, head over to performhappy.com and join us. You'll be training alongside world champion athletes and Olympic hopefuls. And I will personally take you through my research-based system for overcoming fear and mental blocks, building confidence, and finding your flow. I'm coach Rebecca Smith, and I'll see you next time.